American church and very little happening at the church. And these, these Christian philosophers predicted that Christianity would cease to exist in one generation here in America. Is anybody glad that they're wrong? I am. So, in 1857, there was this great economic scare that was going on in our nation at that that point. There were banks closing at this point because they were out of money. It was triggering fear. It was triggering anxiety in this nation and in this time. And then in this time that we were also leading up to civil war. If you know your history, this is what we're leading up to. And there was this church in New York City, and it was called Fulton Street Church. And, um, and at this point, they were, these people were desperate. These church leaders were desperate um, because so few young people were coming to their church. And so here's what they did. They hired a young man uh, named Jeremiah Lanfear. And I got a picture of him. This is what he looked like. Yeah, isn't he a good-looking guy? Man, that's Jeremiah. Anybody with that name is a good, yeah. Woo. Wow. Um, sheesh. Uh, yeah, Jeremiah. So they hired Jeremiah Lanfear. They hired this guy right here with the goal of reaching the young people of New York City. And so, so Jeremiah, they bring him in. Um, and so he shows up. And he's not sure what to do to begin to reach the people at this time of New York City. And so so what he does is he begins to pray. He begins to pray and he begins to seek God about what he should do. And and the Lord tells him to begin a one-hour prayer meeting once a week. And so like he's like, oh, okay, well, I guess this is what I'm going to do. So here's what Jeremiah does. Jeremiah prints out 20,000 um, flyers to pass out to all the neighborhoods around the church, the community around the church. And um, he's thinking at this point, he's going to get people to show up to this prayer meeting. And, um, and he's thinking it's, it's going to explode, like people are going to come from all over the city, all over the area, and, and come to this place and pray. And so he has his very first prayer meeting, and six people show up. And like, I don't know about you guys, but if I was Jeremiah, I would have been a little bit discouraged, right? But the next week, same thing happens. He has this prayer meeting, and 12 people show up. And the next week, 30 people show up. And the fourth week, they could no longer fit that many people. They could no longer fit in the room that they were planning on meeting in. Like, people, people were showing up. People were beginning to catch what God was doing through worship, and through prayer. So now, here's what they do. They decide to extend these prayer and worship meetings to every day of the week, Monday to Friday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. And so soon, every single room of the church was full of people every day from 12 to 1. And this also, it was, it was catching on, and this also began to spread in other churches that surrounded the nearby area, and they began to open doors, and their churches began to fill up every day from 12 to 1. And, um, and, and, for, and what it was, it was just simply people getting together for one hour, praying and crying out to God and worshiping God for one hour for a move of God. So people would pray for salvation for their friends and for their family and, and, and praying and asking God to move on this nation. 
So one day, there was this uh, news reporter sitting at his desk, and um, it, it became the noon hour. And um, so he hears uh, so the whistle blow. And what that means, so there were neighboring factories at that close to them, and um, the whistle would blow uh, to to like tell everyone that hey, it's lunchtime or it's noontime. And so when the whistle blew, he watched as hundreds of people run out of their factories and run into these churches. And so he sends out. He's like, "What is going on?" And so he sends out these reporters to find out what's happening. And they all came back and they said, "You'll never believe what's going on." They're all running to the nearest church. And in every single church, they're worshiping and they're praying. The whole room was praying for salvation for their family and for their friends. And they're crying out in repentance. And, and, and after about, here's how it would kind of look. And um, after about every kind of five to ten minutes of prayer, the prayer would kind of die down in the room. And in that moment, someone would just begin singing. And they would begin singing a song, and the whole room would just erupt and begin to sing and to worship together. And then that would die down. And then all of a sudden, they would begin to pray together as a whole group of people. And then as that, and it just kept repeating that over and over, a moment of prayer, and then a moment of worship, and a moment of prayer, and then a moment of worship. And it kept doing this over and over and over. And they would repeat this for an hour and then they would run out the doors and go back to work. This movement, it began to spread across the nation, across America. They, they wrote a newspaper article about this. And one thing they said that was that during this prayer hour, you could not find even one shop or one restaurant open in New York City. I don't know if you've ever been to New York City, but I imagine even like in the 1850s, it was still a very large city. Their signs, they would make signs, they had signs on the, the doors, they would flip like open and close. They began to make new signs that they would flip over during this hour and it would say at prayer meeting. Like, and, and what was taking place was a revival, and, but this revival was different. See, most people think that revival, when revival takes place, there's, there's great healings and great movements. And yes, that, that can happen and that's real and that's possible. But the thing that made this revival different, that it was marked by repentance of sin and salvations. And so it was kind of like this. One day, um, like I would go to the prayer meeting and I'd be praying for my brother who was unsaved, who didn't know Jesus. And the next day, my brother would be at the prayer meeting, saved. And we would be praying together for my sister. The next day, my sister would show up to the prayer meeting, saved. And then we would be praying for my parents. And that's kind of how it looked. It was, it was a, a revival of salvations of family and friends. And they estimated that so many people were getting saved in a two-year period of time that not only did Christianity not cease to exist, but that over, um, over around two million people around America be, were saved because of a one-hour prayer meeting. So if you take 2 million people in the year 1857, just to kind of compare it to today, um, I, I want you to know that um, a great move of God today in, in, in our generation, in this generation, in your generation, isn't just wishful thinking. 
God has done it before, and he can do it again. I know so many of you guys, you're praying for your parents, your family, your friends to find Jesus, to get saved, and I believe that God can still do like what he's did and done in years past today. He can still move today. So two million people in the year 1857 would be about the same, like according to America's population, as 16 million salvations in a two-year period of time. So imagine if we took today, March 1st, weird, it's March 1st, you guys, March 1st, 2023, and in a two-year period of time, on March 1st, 2025, 16 million salvations take place. Our moms, our dads, our siblings, our friends. That would be like the entire population of New York City and all the surrounding region around it. See, I believe that God can move in America like that again. I believe he can move like that again that the move of God is taking place right now in Gen Z, in your generation. See, I've been a youth pastor for a long time, and and I've never seen um, a generation that is so passionate about seeing their own generation reach for Jesus than your generation. Like, you guys are defying the statistics. It's like, so, so statistically in America... Only 1% to 2% of people will ever lead someone to Jesus in their lifetime. In their lifetime, not just like in a couple years. Statistically, in America, only 1% to 2 people will ever lead someone to Jesus in their lifetime. That's 1% to 2% of church-going Americans. So, and, and then somewhere uh, around 30 to 40% might ever share their faith in a lifetime. And this is church-going believers in America. But I want you guys to know this. Recent studies have shown that 80% of Gen Z, of your generation, have shared their faith in the past year. You guys are a different generation. You guys are a different people. You're a different group. God has put something on the inside of you, and it's beginning to change the world. A a, a spiritual awakening is happening in Gen Z, in your generation. So kind of back to our history lesson. There wasn't one specific person. Yeah, Jeremiah Landfill got it. Landfill? Landfill? I don't know. He got it started. But at all these prayer meetings, there wasn't one specific person um, who, who led this prayer and worship movement in 1857. So what this revival was called, it was called a layman's revival. And a layman is basically this, if you don't understand what that is, basically it's anyone who's not a pastor. And and they basically called it everyone's prayer revival. It was everyone's prayer revival. So in 1859, there's this amazing movement that began to take place in Northern Ireland. There's this young woman, she gets saved, she finds Jesus, he changes her life, and her life change was so dramatic 
that her, her, her response to Jesus was so dramatic that her family doesn't even know what to do with her. So they kick her out of the family. She's discouraged. Or actually, she's not discouraged. And so what she does, she begins to go door to door, sharing her faith to anyone who will listen. And, and she has a passion for Jesus and a simple testimony of a holy transformation. So what happens? She ends up sharing her faith with um, a young man. who He was skeptical. His name was James McQuilkin. And James was, he was like the local party guy. And he would be the party guy, and, um, and he accepts Jesus. And he, be, and he begins to tell his friends about Jesus. And his friends' lives begin to be changed. And they start to ask him, like, what is happening? And so he shares with his three friends and they give their lives to Jesus as well. And so they say that the church in Northern Ireland in this time was not only dead and empty of young people, but it was literally resistant to prayer. Like they were like anti-prayer. So here's what happened. James, young man and, and his friends, young friends, um, what they began to do is they began to have regular prayer meetings on Friday nights in this region of Northern Ireland called Ulster. And they would often pray and worship many times until like 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning out of their just hunger and their passion for Jesus. Um, There was actually a write-up about this, an article about this, and it said this. These young men would take their Bibles and head to the old schoolhouse. They, They read and they worshiped with hearts aflamed. They poured out their prayers towards heaven. Their prayers brought down unquenchable fire from heaven which set all Ulster ablaze for God. And at least 100,000 souls were saved. There's this uh, one of the three young men in the story. His name was Jerry. And um, Jerry got invited to go preach in this town about five miles away. And so Jerry, he walked. He walked to this town to go preach there. And um, when he gets there, he sees that the whole town is gathered at this church. Everyone in town, they're gathered in and around this church. And so what Jerry did, he began to preach his best sermon, which was his testimony. He began to tell his testimony. I want to tell you guys that the best sermon you'll ever preach will be your testimony, your testimony of what Jesus has done in your life. And so so Jerry, he begins to preach, and he begins to, and he preaches, and he preaches, and he preaches. And at the end of it, he gives this altar call, and... um. And people responded, and then no one left. And so Jerry was like, okay. Um, Jerry preached a second message. And he preached, and he preached, and he gave an altar call. People responded, and nobody left the building. Jerry was like, okay, um, well, Joe Jerry preaches a third sermon. And he's preaching and preaching and preaching, gave an altar call. People responded. Nobody left. This happened four times. Jerry preached four different sermons, and he preached like his heart out. And even it says even afterwards that Jerry had to take off his shirt and wring it out. He was so dripping with sweat at this point. And so at the end of the night, Jerry closed it out, and he walked back home five miles back to his home. And it was at two in the morning. Jerry was tired, and he was worn out from preaching. And almost as soon as he gets inside of his house and closes his door, he hears a knock on the door. 
Jerry opens the door, sees someone who was at the church service, who basically followed him home like a creep. And he said, what are you doing here? And the person on the other side responded with, what do I have to do to be saved? And this was all started by four young men whose lives were changed by Jesus. This is the last story I want to tell, and and then we're just going to... I want to share a couple of verses, and we're just going to pray together, and we're going to close together. Um, in 1859 to 1860 in South Africa, there was this small church with a pastor. His name was Andrew Murray, and um, he was actually he wasn't actually at his church when this took place because he was um, he was at a prayer meeting at another church not far away, and he was preaching at another church, and um, and actually this was a fairly quiet church. Like, I don't know if you guys, like, our church is kind of loud. Like, we, we, we play loud music, and we get loud, and we dance around, and we sing. This is like one of those churches that you sit there and like, mm, like, nobody gets loud. And if you get loud, like, everyone's like, what are you doing? Like, right? So this is one of those kind of churches. Like, it was fairly quiet church. And, um, and so the person preaching on that day, they decided that they should end the service and open it up for anyone maybe who wanted to share a scripture or someone who wanted to pray at that time. And at that moment, there was a 15-year-old girl in the room who raises her hand. Um, but the preacher there, he's hesitant because he's not sure what she's going to do or what she's going to say. And so he eventually gives in and he invites her up to the front. And um, this 15-year-old girl stands up at the front and she begins to pray. And they say that the moment that she begins to pray, that the church was filled with this roar, like this deafening roar of the, the, the crowd just waking up. And in that moment, have you guys ever been to like a Chiefs game? When, and it's so like deafening loud. I imagine like this is, this is what was taking place. As soon as this 15-year-old girl began to pray, like there was just this roar that just began to build in the room. And in that moment, Everybody in the room starts to pray and worshiping and repenting of sins and crying out to God. So this is taking place. And a man at the church, he takes off out the door and he's going to find Pastor Andrew Murray and he's going to tell him that your church is out of control. And and so he goes and gets him and brings him back. And Andrew Murray, he walks into the church and he starts yelling to the top of his lungs, silence, silence but nobody will listen. And the power of God had shown up in the room. Sometime later, um, Pastor Andrew Murray was preaching at another church and the same thing happens. And people began to spontaneously just pray and worship God, crying out to God, repenting of sins. And Andrew, like he's about to shut it down and a man grabs him who had been at the Layman's Prayer Revival in New York City, he grabs Andrew Murray and he says, this is God. So Andrew Murray, he, he lets it happen. And, he, and he's so moved by it that he, later on he gathers up 300 different church leaders and pastors who commit to preach in their churches on only two things, the power of prayer and the power of God. And when they do this, when these 300 church leaders begin to do this, 
revival breaks out in South Africa. They say that this revival touched 35 cities and not a single home wasn't touched by revival. Could you imagine, like, Kansas City? It's a, we're, we live in a pretty big city, and, and the move of God in Kansas City was so powerful that not a single home in 35 cities surrounding Kansas City were not touched by the move of God. And here's, here's what I believe. I believe that God wants to do that again. God wants to move in that way again. And here's what he's looking for. He's simply looking for a generation that's hungry, a generation that's desperate for God to move, a generation that's desperate for Jesus to change their lives, who, who desires to seek God, a generation that desires to live for Jesus and to let their lives be changed and transformed. Could we have our, our worship team or Pastor Nick and Kristen come back up? And so I want to end the night with these two passages, and these are the two passages that I want to share tonight. And if you're taking notes, you can write these down. In the book of Psalm 23, <clears throat> verses 3 and 4, it says this, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. See, in times like today, it's important that we get our lives totally right with God. In this generation that we live in, this world that we live in, it is very important that we get our lives totally right with God. Like, and in this scripture, there's an invitation to purity. There's an invitation to destroy the idols, the things that we've set up as idols in our lives. An invitation to not let anything live in darkness. See, just this revival that most recently took place it basically started, like, honestly, I listened to what the preacher preached that day. I went back and I found the, um, the YouTube of what he preached, and it wasn't even a great sermon. It, I, wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't blown away by it. It wasn't that fantastic. And, and, but what happened, how it began to break out, it was basically started by a person who began to confess their sin, and they began to say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not living in darkness anymore. I'm not living in sin anymore. I'm moving to the light of Jesus and I want my life changed forever. So what does it, live, what does it look like to move your life into the light of Jesus? To not live with secret sins anymore? What does it look like to fully give your life to Jesus and not try to hide anymore? What what? What areas of sin, anger, bitterness, jealousy, unforgiveness that we're still holding on to where Jesus tonight is inviting us to freedom? See, the, the Bible says that it's his love that leads us to repentance. 
Think again about, about Psalm 24. He's saying, give us clean hands and a pure heart so that we may ascend the hill of the Lord. It's not saying like wash your hands. It's saying let's live pure and clean and holy lives before the Lord so that we may ascend the hill, that we may be in the presence of the Lord. And then the last verse I want to share with you tonight is this. It's in Psalm 63, in verses 1 through 5. It says this, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I've seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and your name will in in, in your name I will lift up my hands and I will be fully satisfied with the richest of foods with singing lips my mouth will praise you. Tonight, my prayer for you guys is that this kind of hunger grips you. That, that we earnestly seek him with everything that we are. That we know God's power and we know God's glory because his love is better than life. And we'll praise him and we'll lift up our hands. And just my thought, just kind of in, in this moment with where we're at, I would say that repentance, prayer, praise, and worship is simply the right response in this moment with God. 